right, joining me again today, Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Bill, welcome back. Hey, good to be with you, Carmen. How are hey, you doing it, today? I, I, I'm blessed, man. I am I'm too. Ble- yeah. I'm blessed. <laughs> I'm so blessed. Um, okay, so let's talk about uh, the environment in which um, businesses thrive and maybe the false expectation that, um, uh, you know, either democracy is not necessary for business to thrive or I could just take democracy for granted. I think either of those directions is sort of bad to go. Talk, talk with us about this piece that you sent me from the Harvard Business Review, Business Can't Take Democracy for Granted. Yeah, we, yeah, we really can't. Uh, if if you take a long step back, and this is not part of the article, but if you look at all of the attempts of England and Spain to settle the New World back in the 14 and the 1500s, there's only one uh, settlement that actually uh, did well, and that was the one that eventually uh, turned into the United States of America. And you ask your yeah, you ask yourself the question why. And one of the one of the uh, uh, Niles Ferguson in one of his books says. Um, that the wealth that was starting to be formed in America in the early days did not go back to the crown. It stayed here in America, and because they developed or we developed a what is called today a free enterprise or capitalistic system, that wealth could be renewed and grown and made better. So, uh, so democracy, I think of us as a republic rather than a democracy, but uh, I'll use the word democracy this morning. A democracy is necessary for uh, business to thrive. Uh, it it does need good regulation. I'm not a laissez-faire guy, if, for those of you who might know what that term is. But I certainly think that uh, freedom, freedom of association, freedom of contracting, freedom to choose who your vendors are, who your customers are going to be, and and I, I like Adam Smith's invisible hand here. All of that is supported by a democracy, a, a free society. Those things are not supported by a highly socialistic or communistic society. So uh, the fact that um, that uh, we are going through a sea change in our in our um, culture right now, uh, that none of us really know where this is going to end up. Uh, one of the things we have to look at is. Um, how do we maintain a certain level of freedom so that business can thrive? Mm-hmm. Um, part of the challenge, you make this observation as well, um, it's pretty much everything today is seen through a political lens, and that's a challenge. Um, we have multinational companies um, you know, who have been very, very engaged in uh, in political speech by their contributions. We have some of them withdrawing those uh, those gifts, withdrawing that hand. Um, when, you know, when does it function best? When government is strong and business is strong? I mean, that would seem to me to be the formula that would be that would be best. Uh, that's a really a great question, Carmen. Uh, if you go back 20 years, let's say 30 years in business, what was the ethos? The ethos was business exists to enrich the shareholders. And that was it. And about 10 or 15 years ago, we started to see this infiltration into the purpose of business to being, uh, uh, being socially conscious, to helping those who who were less fortunate and that kind of thing. And businesses have started to embrace that and really have embraced that in a, in a significant way. But when you embrace that, then you must necessarily become politically active. You are becoming politically active no matter how you look at it. So uh, the yes, we mostly view 
um, our our lives now through political lenses, and I think that businesses are going to be all in now on that. They are going mm. to take sides in politics because they are going to see a connection between their products and services and the kind of life that they are creating for their customers, yea, verily, the community, and they are going to be all in on this political process too. You're going to find that the corporations – are, are, are going to be in on this. And couple that with the Supreme Court um, decision that allowed co corporations to give to political uh, parties and political campaigns. And you're going to find that uh, corporations are going to be choosing sides. And I think an outgrowth of that will be that their customer base becomes aligned with a political party. Republicans will go to one company and uh, Democrats will go to another. I think you'll see comp competitors to Facebook and Twitter pop up, which conservatives will drive to, and Twitter and Facebook will become um, mostly uh, customers with uh, liberal political views. I, I think this is predictable. Because that's uh, how how capitalism works, right? I mean, <laughs> I see an opportunity. I see a, a population of people underserved. Um, who want a product or a service. And so, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, I create a product or service to meet that need. And those people then uh, reward me for that. Like, that's sort of the most basic form of it. I, yes, take a but, break, my, but, but, can, but my... But my customer base will also... My customer base will also expect me to have a political opinion now. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, just, I get that. Mm -hmm. and, and that's different. That's different than even 10 years ago. Totally different. All right. Uh, Bill English and I are going to be back in a moment. Um, I, we're going to talk about a story out of India that um, really kind of captured not only my attention, but it's kind of captured my heart. Um, I'd never heard of a rice ATM before, but I know what it is now, and I'm kind of excited to share it with you. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So back in uh, April... Bloomberg was reporting that rice ATMs were being installed to dispense free food to out-of-work Vietnamese. And uh, and then I saw this headline just this week um, about the installation of a rice ATM uh, to feed people in need in India. And I thought, you know what, we got to talk about this. And who better to do it than Bill English? This is this is just a great good news story. It is. It, it makes you feel good because it is good, right? Amen. Tell us what's going on. Who is so, Ramu Dosapati? Dosapati. I wondered where you would put the accent, which syllable you put the accent on. Because um, I, I had it differently, but I like Dosapati better. He's an HR executive in India. He's in the Hyderabad region of India, which is in the south central part of India. And he, uh, just through the normal discourse of life, uh, bumped into uh, a group of migrant workers, actually a whole camp of migrant workers who were stranded without uh, food or home because of A, COVID, and B, recent flooding that had happened in their area. And he felt compelled to do something about it. He saw another gal in the grocery store buying $2,500 worth of chickens to take back to the camp. And so he went back and looked at the camp and learned about it and started taking down names and realized that the need was very great. So you know what he did? He took his entire life savings, 
which amounted to $75,000 U.S. dollars, and he built, with the help of some vendors, uh, local vendors, a rice ATM where rice and other necessities are dispensed 24 by 7 for this and other migrant workers who are in desperate need. He took all that he had, and he's giving it away. And I think there's a lesson in there for us. Yeah, it's just incredible. Um, the, the They have, um, it's a totally automated thing. It's really just quite extraordinary. It's a cool, um, it, it, it really, it's, it, it's extraordinary. Um, we think about staple food items and um, we talk about daily bread and we as Christians, you know, pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. There are a lot of people around the world who do not have um, access to daily bread. And when we talk about most of the world, daily bread is rice. And so this is just really um, extraordinary story. Others have, um, you know, others have now joined in. Um, It's just, it's something that God is magnifying. And I just wanted to celebrate it. And and it's worth celebrating. And the equivalent for us here in America is to be giving to our food shelves. Remember, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, you and I talked about how uh, 18% of families with children in America right now are experiencing hunger. And they're going to the food shelves, and the food shelves are bare. Uh, they are they are really experiencing a lot of demand. So we're not going to build a rice ATM here in, in America, but we do have food shelves, and we can contribute mm-hmm. to those to help those people who are experiencing hunger. So um, I looked back after reading this this story uh, about what's going on in India, and I I looked back to refresh my uh, my memory on the rice ATM in in Vietnam that I had read about earlier in the year, and I remember that one being like fully automated, like it's it runs it it's out of a tractor trailer, and they've got this machine, and it's automated, and it dispenses you know a certain amount of rice into a plastic bag every time somebody pushes the button on the machine, and I just thought to myself. People are ingenious. Like, you know, it's just it, yeah. it, people are really um, and it and actually then the trucks just come and reload the grain elevator in the back. So it's not even like it's it's not even going through that whole process of having to be bagged and then rebagged and distributed by hand. And, um, you know, in the midst of covid, the more automated things can be, you know, it's it, it just I the human ingenuity and generosity brought to bear on real need. I just found so um, encouraging and inspiring. We are resilient. God has Amen. given us um, a, a a spirit of resilience and innovation. And I think when people innovate, especially uh, to help others, whether it's through for-profit or in this case, uh, non-profit giving types of activities, we are really uh, uh, reflecting the creative and the loving nature of God. So I... Um... Uh, I'll just share this about something going on in my own community. We have a very small local grocery store. Um, It's like 20 minutes from here to, you know, what people would consider like a real grocery store. But in my very small rural community, we have a very small little local, locally owned and operated grocery store. And they were experiencing a uh, a lot of theft Um, and increasing levels of theft. And so um, they decided, you know what? People are in need um, instead of uh, sort of forcing people to the point of having to steal. Let's just put a community shelf out in front of the store. 
And so when you go buy your groceries, you buy a little more than you need if you're able to do so. And then when you walk outside before you put your groceries in your car, you load up the portions of the community shelf that need to be restocked so that people in the community who have need can come and with dignity go to the community shelf and fill up their grocery bag and go back home. And so I just want to encourage people to think creatively. Um, maybe you don't live in a large enough metropolitan area where, you know, there's a, like a, a legit community food bank with tractor trailers and refrigeration and all of that. Um, but there are ways for you to um, meet the needs in your own community um, that dignify, uh, that, that are dignifying for people, that do meet real needs with real resources that folks would have access today to their daily bread, um, which is a real answer to genuine prayer. Um, Bill, hey, as always, thank you so much. I love talking with you. I love talking with you too, Carmen. You have a good day, okay? Thanks, you too. You guys need to check out the uh, refreshedbibleandbusiness.com. Lots of great resources there um, from Bill English and his uh, his cohorts. So, Bill English, uh, as always, uh, such a pleasure. we got to take a break for Breakpoint. Breakpoint. 